Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Scouts podcast, episode number 17, coming at you on Wednesday, June 23rd. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by Sam Ehrman, Matt Nine, and Andrew Woodruff. We have maybe my favorite episode yet planned for you guys today. We're going to do a My Guys episode, our 2021 My Guys. We're going to do one rookie, one veteran. We're each going to plant the flag on our guys, tell you why. Uh, they are our guys run through uh, each of them. Like I said, we'll each have one vet and one rookie while you listen to the podcast, head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Let's get into the show. off here with sam on the rookie side uh sam ehrman we probably know who your rookie my guy is but why don't you tell us uh about him and and why he's your guy all right um so let's i mean let's just get into it i mean like it's amari rogers um i'm juiced up to talk about this um well i mean i i understand the hesitation right now with you know aaron Rodgers potentially even town, but you kind of got to project right now with Jordan Love as the starter um, because if Aaron Rodgers does indeed come back, uh, Mario Rodgers is going to take a huge value jump. Um, but right now, I mean, I'm talking about a, a kid who is a burner um, and he's a slot wide receiver who's built like a running back. You, you, you really don't see that very often. He's 5'9", 220 pounds. Um, he's extremely versatile and really could play running back. He's got like that elite twitch that you look for running backs to have. Um, he is a great like football mind. And what I mean by that is he talked a lot about during his draft process, like what sets him apart and why he's so good at creating separation. And it's because he loves to study the game. And when you watch him, he's just, he's very instinctive. Um, he's got elite cutting and I know a lot of team P times people see like nice cuts and they think that's elite right running. Well, it's part of it, but you have to you know, be able to understand the read the defense and zones and stuff. And Amari Rogers does that at a very, very high level. He's going into a green Bay offense, which is, I know it was a Mike McCarthy offense, but historically had been great for slot wide receivers. They just didn't have anybody behind Devontae Adams who could play football for the national football league. Um, so Amari Rogers comes in with a clear opportunity to be the guy right behind Devontae Adams in the slot. That's a very valuable place to be in the national football league, a slot wide receiver in green Bay. Um, you're talking about a guy who's, going to get screen passes jet sweeps he's going to be down the field he's going to be eating the middle of the field I think there's a world where uh, Matt Flores is not a stupid coach and with that um, you could realistically see Amari Rogers become that Randall Cobb Julian Edelman slot wide receiver who just eats up the middle of the field and can stretch up the offense to open it up um, I know that Amari Rogers analytics were not very good um, but I want to address that. Um, I mean, the dude sat behind Justin Ross and T Higgins and uh, a bunch of those other stars, but he still played. Um, he still produced even before he broke out, but his analytical profile took a huge hit when he tore his ACL 
Um, you know, and that's, that set him back. You know, he missed six months. I mean, he literally came back in six months. I mean, he wasn't 100%, but he was still well enough to produce. I mean, he put up a decent season um, with the torn ACL. He put up 30 receptions, 426 yards right off of a torn ACL. And then a year removed, you know, when he's completely healthy off the ACL, he puts up 77 receptions, 1,000 yards, and seven touchdowns um, with Trevor Lawrence on the football. Um, and you, you, if, if you're a Trevor Lawrence fan, you know he's very good at football. Um, and it was just nice that he had an elite slot wide receiver. Um, when you watch Amari, what makes him special is his ability to be twitchy. Um, you, you get one of these twitchy guys every year. A couple of years ago, it was Deontay Johnson. Um, last year, it was Brandon Ayuk. This year, you know, your twitch factor um, is Amari Rogers, some guy who runs a 4 3 um, with the full speed of everything, but doesn't have to slow down, makes those hard cuts, and knows how to get open. Um, I genuinely believe there's an opportunity where he's going to get a ton of volume um, in that slot. So if you're looking at a guy, you know, as a rookie who gets 100 targets, I mean, that's pretty generous, but, I mean, that's a possibility because it's Devontae Adams and nobody in that receiving core. I mean, Robert Tanyan, if you want to talk about the breakout, but his breakout happened because there was nobody else. Um, I don't really think anybody in Green Bay is overly excited about Devin Funches coming back and MVS and Equinemia St. Brown. So, I mean, it's Amari Rodgers and Devontae Adams, and those are clear by far the best two wide receivers they have. And if you're going to chase talent in the draft capital and, you know, what teams are saying, then you should be all over Amari Rodgers. Anybody got any questions for Sam on Rodgers before we move on? I, I mean, I'm pretty sold on Amari. Um, I think the fantasy community has kind of come around on him a bit. Sam was first on him, um, in my opinion, at least that I saw. Uh, Sam was the first one to really begin talking about him. But I've heard more and more about him. A lot more people like him more so now than they did, you know, a few months back. But Andrew, Matt, I don't know if you have any follow-up questions or any any comments to add on Amari Rogers before we move on. Yeah, I do. I do have one question. You, Sam, you actually think he sees 100 targets this year? I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying it's in the realm of possibilities. I mean, think about it. It's Devontae Adams, and then you know what you are with Alan Lazard, Devin Funges, Equinemius St. Brown. It's just a bunch of really bad guys. Like, they desperately needed help. Um, I don't know if he gets 100 targets, but if he does, that's money. But he may get over 100 touches the way they could use him in their screen game and jet sweeps and fuck for all I care, put him in the backfield. Um, he's going to touch the football. He's going to touch the football a lot. And you get this kid in space, that's trouble. I mean, you do not want to get this kid in space because he's going to make you miss. Um, so I don't know. But I would bet at least, you know, I'd feel comfortable right now saying 70 targets at the bare minimum and probably – 10, 15 carries if you're going to consider, you know, jet sweeps. And so, I mean, I think there's a realm of possibility where he gets, you know, somewhere up to 70 touches this year. And, you know, with somebody who's just dynamic as him, that could turn out to be a very good fantasy season right off the bat, even if it is Jordan Love. Shit, it might even be better if it's Jordan Love um, from a volume standpoint, not an efficiency standpoint. But, I mean, typically – you know, or Aaron Rodgers, you're playing with efficiency. You're moving up and down the field, moving the chains. Jordan Love, you might struggle for the first two quarters, you know, and be down by 14, and then he's got to sit back and sling it. So 
I'm really not worried. I, you trust the talent with these young kids, and this kid can play football. So I'm excited. You know, I mean, you you drafted him in the third round, and you didn't have to pay much for him. So you sit on him. I mean, he's, he, he can play football, and he's going to play football at a high level in the NFL. Yeah, I think what you said, trust the talent, that's the key. Did you have uh, something to add, Andrew? Yeah, so I just I was kind of listening to it all. Um, so, Sam, you mentioned the backfield a couple of times. Would we not assume that the receiver two would probably be Aaron Jones and then Amari would be somewhere fighting for those number three most targets around Tunyon? I'm just concerned because the drafts I've seen, I've seen Amari going right there toward the end of the second. Now, some of that's me taking him right there because I – I like the value as well from what I've heard that you've talked about before with them. But I'm curious, for 2021, where do you see a realistic outcomes for this guy? I think I just kind of talked about it. Um, I think, I think, like I said, I think I feel very confident with at least 60 targets. Um, you know, maybe more, I don't know. But um, – <sighs> I think Robert Tanyan will be a fine streamer tied in, but I don't think he's going to be an elite option like he was. But the reason I think he was had such a good season was because there was literally nobody else to throw the football to. It was either you're throwing touchdowns to Devontae Adams or Robert Tanyan. Um, Amari Rogers gives you that option. Um, I'm afraid Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are going to have a more of a – I think those guys will be fine for fantasy, but I don't think Aaron Jones will be the third leading receiver. Um I think he should be. I think I really think he should probably be the second leading receiver on the team. I mean, he's top five talent in the league, but I'm not a coaching in Green Bay, but that's what I would do. But I mean, if my pecking order, I would treat Aaron Jones like Alvin Kamara. Um, he could be he, if Aaron Jones was treated like Aaron uh, Alvin Kamara, he could finish as the RB one. It wouldn't even be like. So if you want to do it that way, I mean, you know, Dylan is your Murray and. Jones is your Camara, and then you got Hermione Rogers and Devontae Adams. I mean, I think he'll be fine for year one. Um, I think, you know, being conservative and saying 60 targets for, you know, the wide receiver too is generous. But, you know, if you come out here and say, oh, 100 targets and, you know, oh, I'm, I'm marking my table 100 targets this year, you're leading people to, you know, dead water. But I think, you know, it's in the realm of possibilities, but I feel comfortable saying at least 60. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I know everybody has heard before, especially if Rodgers does end up saying the receiver too is someone that's fantasy relevant. So I was just curious, where do you see him compared to Aaron Jones? So I'd, I'd say that was my thing. If you think he can get that receiver two target total, then yeah, there's definitely upside the chase with the amount that you'd have to pay to get him. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, let's go ahead and give Matt the floor now for his rookie. All right, so you guys have probably uh, seen me tweet about him a handful of times, but I am rolling with Vikings wide receiver Amir Smith-Marset. And a little bit like Sam pointed out with Amari Rogers, Smith-Marset's analytical profile isn't exactly eye-popping. Now, he does look a lot better on tape, than he looks on paper. Uh, when I watch the tape, I see a guy who is, who has, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, cautioned recklessness, I guess. Like this, this guy is unafraid of anything. For someone his size, 6'1", 181, which is a little on the lighter side, he has no problem 
uh, jumping up in the air and, and grabbing a ball. Like he fears nothing. He puts his body on the line for every catch and makes an attempt at every single ball that's thrown his way. And that is just awesome to watch. Not only that, but he has elite speed, track speed. He has probably some of the best bursts that I've ever seen in a wide receiver. Now, you know, to be fair, I've only been really digging into football here in the fantasy community going on year two now. Uh, so I probably haven't seen a ton, but this guy possesses some very special bursts. You can go back and watch his holiday bowl highlights uh, to get a little glimpse of that. Um, he doesn't have stellar draft capital, um, but in his defense, Iowa isn't exactly a wide receiver factory. They're a very run heavy team. And I'm looking here at teamrankings.com. Iowa ran the ball uh, over 65% of the time last year, or excuse me, 55% of the time last year. So this is a very run heavy team. They do not pass often. And when they do pass, uh, the pass game filters through the tight ends. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. Those are some of your, your prime examples over the past few years that have come out of Iowa that are now NFL studs. So you don't really see a lot of wide receivers come out of Iowa. So stack that on top of the quarterback play, which has been absolutely atrocious over the past few years for Iowa. It's kind of the same vibe you get, you know, I got with Claypool last year, you know, really bad quarterback play, very run heavy team. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, the production is not there. And I'm like, but you watch the tape, like you can clearly see that this guy can play football. Like there's no question about that. Uh, so where do I think that he's going forward now moving into his rookie year in the NFL? Well, it was tweeted out a few days ago that quote, there are certain individuals within the team that believe that Smith Marset has quote, untapped talent and he's being given every opportunity to win that wide receiver three spot. And you're like, Oh, well, the wide receiver three spot on a run heavy Vikings team, who cares? Well, I think, I think their offense is changing some. So last year, Justin Jefferson was the wide receiver one, saw 121 targets. Adam Thielen was the two, saw 106 targets. And then Chad Beebe was the three, saw only 27 targets. So in reality, it was probably Dalvin cook, maybe even Irv Smith. That was the true third target on that team. So that wide receiver three role in past may not have been as favorable, but moving forward, I think it might be. So Sam and I touched on this. Oh, I don't know. What do you think? Six, six ish weeks ago or something like that. How we kind of observed without it being explicitly written on paper that the Vikings drafted three positions that were not of need. And the three guys that they took was a, a very fast wide receiver in Smith Marset, a very fast running back in Nguangu. Hopefully I said that right. And then a spread offense quarterback in Kellen Mond. So this is not typically what you see from the Vikings. They do a lot of play action. Their pass game filters through the tight ends. They want to run the ball, outside zone scheme, so on and so forth. So it was really interesting to see them kind of step out of their, their comfort zone. And then I read an article, it was two days ago, that Mike Zimmer has been talking to Nick Saban. And he's been asking Nick Saban questions about, you used to have a fantastic defense and relied on the run game. You then had to transition into a more offensive-friendly uh, system because that's just the way that the college football was moving. Uh, and Saban has dominated that as well. So it was interesting to hear Zimmer talking to Saban, you know, maybe getting pointers on, 
walk me through this. Like how, how can we adjust our offense to move into a more offensive friendly scheme? So I thought that was interesting because now you got a spread quarterback, you drafted another receiver, you drafted another running back and you know, Adam Thielen is probably got, I'd say two years, maybe one, but it depends on how Smith Marset's development comes around this, this fall. Uh, does he push Adam Thielen out the door early last year or next year? I believe Thielen, somebody could double check me on this. I, I don't think Thielen's dead cap next year is crazy. I believe it's under 5 million. I could be wrong, but it's not astronomical, especially this past year where we've seen teams just eat cap um, even with the lowered salary cap because of the, the COVID year. Uh, this just teams just don't care that much. So there's a chance Smith Marset elevates himself into the wide receiver two role next year across from Justin Jefferson. Now you want to look down the road a little bit further. I don't think Kirk Cousins is the answer in Minnesota at all. He's good, but he's not good enough to get the Vikings over the hump. So I do think at some point they're going to move on from him. And that could be next year, but probably not. But it's more realistically in 2023 as Cousins last year, unless they do want to eat a massive cap because I do know Cousins has that. So two years from now, Smith Barset will only be 23 years old. He'll be entering his third, maybe fourth season, depending on how it goes. Could be the wide receiver two across from Justin Jefferson and an offense that has transitioned now from 2021 into 2023 to a more pass-friendly spread offense. I don't know if Kellen Mond is the answer, but I definitely know that Cousins isn't. So I do expect the quarterback play to get better over the next few years as they look for a replacement. So right now, Smith-Marset is going in the fourth round of rookie drafts. If for someone of his caliber, or at least potential ceiling, a little bit like Sam was saying with Jordan Love uh, last week, like the cost versus what you are getting potentially is, is unquestionable. The, his ceiling is so high and he costs almost nothing. Now, a lot of people have started to have been jumping on him lately because some, apparently there was a report that came out during OTAs or something like that. Like he was running ridiculous routes, uh, making the starting corners look a little foolish and stuff like that, catching balls everywhere. So that that's exciting to see. Obviously it was OTAs. They're not wearing pads, you know, stuff like, stuff like that. But it's nice to see that the arrow is pointing in the right direction. And that's kind of what you look for this time of year, just to see where that arrow is going. So all in all, I think Smith Marset is a fantastic uh, acquisition for your team. He's probably taxi squad this guy this year, depending on how your team is. And I look forward to a very, very bright future for him. Yeah. So just a quick note on Thielen. Um, his looks like his dead cap would be 11 million next year. Okay. Um, so it's still up there a bit, but then after that, it drops down to six. So okay. that, that's when it becomes, yeah, it becomes more affordable after that. But to your point, I mean, he's certainly a guy that they can move on from definitely down the road and projecting that offense out. You could definitely see. I want to add to that quick. Um, um, this has nothing to do with what Matt just said, um, but it adds to everything he just said. Uh, Matt noted that Smith Marset doesn't have great, great, great draft capital. Um, that is true, but I would also like to point out, out in Minnesota, it appears they know how to develop them if they've got talent. Because Stefan Diggs 
was a fifth round pick, just like Amir Smith Marset. Ironically, Stefan Diggs was the tenth selection in the fifth round. Smith Marset was the thirteenth selection in the fifth round. Adam Thielen was an undrafted free agent. Um, the Vikings have showed us that if you can play, you're gonna play. It doesn't matter where you got drafted, Lacan Treadwell. I mean, Stefan Diggs came in around the same time as Laquan Treadwell. And look, I mean, look what happened. The first rounder got beat out by this undrafted guy who was, I mean, so the Minnesota Vikings have showed us. You can add everything Matt just said. Draft capital does not mean anything to them. If they have anything invested into you and you can play, you will play. So you might as well go with Matt and take this shot because if you can play in Minnesota, you're going to be on the field. And one other thing I'd like to point out that I remember when I first kind of started to come around on him, Andrew pointed this out to me. Uh, Smith Marset was recruited out of high school to play defensive back. And I'm sure he played both sides of the ball in high school. But like I said, he went to Iowa to play defensive back. And during his freshman year, they asked him to switch because they were so thin at wide receiver. So he's actually only been playing organized, like legit level organized football at the wide receiver position for three years. So that is where this whole untapped talent stuff comes in. Because so, if you watch his tape, then you're like, this guy's only been playing for three years. Like, wow. Like he, every year he's gotten better. And that's one of the advantages he has is that he can line up against a defensive back and know exactly what to look for because that's what he used to play. So he knows how to manipulate the defensive backs, hips and eyes in order to get open, which makes him so deadly because if he can get two yards, even three yards of separation on a post route on a go on a double move or something like that, it it's lights out. This guy's going to take it to the house every time. Andrew. I'll say, I really guy. Like, you, I okay. Really add to Matt's thing. I was about to say, like, I think we've talked so much about this dude over the past several months and like even broke down film just watching some of the stuff late at night after podcasts so that's a good one um kind of keeping with the theme for some reason i didn't realize we were doing this staying in the nfc north right now um my guy I actually haven't been tweeting about because i've been working on that database behind the scenes hadn't been super active on twitter but the 2021 my guy the guy is a rookie that I looked at for the value, I think is going to outproduce and be able to get on and be a usable flex uh, per, uh, flex player for people. And so I'm actually going to be talking about the Lions fourth round pick, Amon Ross St. Brown. And so when I was going through kind of looking at this, uh, what I wanted to start with is just kind of a, just this basic profile. A lot of people already give him flack because officially he ran a four, five, nine. That's not fast for a receiver, but if anyone sits down and watches, the dude was never burning anybody on the field anyway. That was not his specialty. Uh, what was more interesting for me was like looking through everything else. If you look at his vertical jump, his broad jump, his short shuttle, three cone, and even the bench press, the dude was in the top 10 among receivers at every single one of those metrics. And what I like about that was because it showed me two things. It showed me Amon Ross St. Brown is a super explosive athlete in small windows. So he is good at being able to get in and out of breaks, being able to change directions and move around like that. Uh, the second thing was seeing that he had 20 reps, like for his size, only being 5'11", almost six foot, he's strong. So I thought about it. He's going to the Lions organization. 
Lions head coach has already said they are wanting to run the ball effectively. He has some strength. If he can work on his run blocking a little bit, that's an immediate way to get into the good graces of a head coach and get onto the field. And so I'm kind of going a little bit past some of that. Uh, I started looking back at his college career. When he was a freshman at USC, he only got a little bit less than 59% of the snaps on offense as a freshman. So he was already almost playing 60% of the offense. And then he manages to lead the team in catches uh, and is only eight yards behind the junior at the time, Michael Pittman Jr. So a guy that's two years older than him, he only fell eight yards less than as a rook, well, as a freshman in college. And then on top of that, when he was used out of those 60 catches, 33 of them went for first downs. So he was able to be that short underneath guy, able to move chains along. And so some people saw that and he started paying attention a little bit when it came into the Debbie community. Uh, going into his second year, we see that it's the offense focused around Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown himself, along with uh, Tyler Bonds, who also declared for this draft as well. He had over 90% of the snaps out of the entire offense. He kept playing consistently. He was always on the field. He has the second highest amount of receptions right there, the second most yards, second most touchdowns. Again, the only guy that beat him was the senior, Michael Pittman, who is a NFL-level talent. He was competing and being neck and neck right there with an NFL-level talent. Pittman, who we know all got second-round draft capital, very early second-round draft capital last year. And then moving on from that, this past year, very shortened season with COVID, there was nobody else to play the outside receiver. So we see a Monroe St. Brown not only step from being a slot receiver to now he's also starting to get some of the reps outside and being able to do something with it. Uh, he had the most receptions, the most targets, the most touchdowns, and the second most yards. And he was only behind about 24 yards from the leader at that point as well. So he was literally about to crush every single part of his 2019 stat season if the, the Pac-12 had some reason got themselves together and actually played a normal season, kind of like the SEC and several other conferences actually ended up being able to do. So, again, he's not a burner, but I just saw that he does such a good job of being a technician about how he sets himself up and how he runs his routes and really focuses in on that. I mean, we can even start going into the coach speak, which – we know coach speak is huge when it starts talking about a rookie saying, okay, are they actually doing anything? Are they behind? Where are they at? Uh, you've got uh, two people from the athletic, uh, Nick and Chris Burke, being able to describe him again as a route technician. He's as advertised. He's not an overwhelming athlete, but he knows how to get open because of his focus and his attention to details with his routes. So, uh, you can go on, it goes back a little bit further. Let's say this is talking about uh, Campbell. And this is only three days into practices. And it says, he is all business. He's a rookie. He's all business. You can tell he's very focused. He's very detail-oriented for a rookie. He listens to what Antoine Randall L., his receivers coach, is telling him. He's taking it in, being serious. He knows the playbook better than some of the, even the vets at this point. What he goes on and keeps saying, I uh, just... And let's see. And also, he mentioned something else, which I didn't realize that they were doing this. Uh, he says it's not just growing in the receiver room. He's also in Dave Phipps' area of the field, special teams. So he's finding more and more ways to get himself onto the field. 
And we just know eventually talent is always going to work its way onto the field, no matter how it's doing it. So whether it's Amon Ra, St. Brown being able to come in with a mindset of I am here to take y'all's jobs and be on the field nonstop. He's doing everything he can right there already. And so it came back. Um, had two more parts with this. Looking at the draft, a lot of people had Monroe St. Brown graded out as a day two draft pick. The Lions, uh, from the people that I was able to talk to and uh, get some inside stuff working with them, uh, they were considering receiver as early as pick 72. So they weren't considering a receiver until the third round anyway. But they noticed kind of with the way the draft was flowing, they needed to focus in and get some more defensive guys because that defense was really bad last year, if anybody remembers watching the Lions. And so they sit there and risk not getting at pick 101, which was the end of the third, to fix um, pick a corner instead. And they decided, okay, I'm going to wait seven picks into the fourth round, and we're just going to go with the best receiver possible, which ended up being a Monroe St. Brown. So he slots in really well for what the team is needing because they've already went out and got Terrell Williams this offseason to be that outside receiver. What they really needed was a guy who can work inside the slot and be a solid receiver too and push potentially for the targets. And that's exactly what St. Brown's profile is. Most of his career, he's played in the slot, 65 and a half percent of it than from the slot. And so I like that because now that gets us to our team fit. The team fit started off, it's got a fantastic offensive line. We know they went and got Penny Sewell this year. In the first round, they've also got Frank Ragno at center, who's an excellent center. Uh, Taylor Decker to play the other tackle, and even uh, Jonah Jackson, who was their rookie left guard they took last year. They've already built up the front trenches, and that is perfect for what the quarterback is that they have. Anyone who knows Jared Goff should remember his best years of 2017, 2018, which was some of the best blocking years for the, uh, for the Rams at that time. And it sets up really well for Jared Goff to then sit there and use play action to his advantage and then being able to work off of that behind a solid line. He's got plenty of time to then survey and attack the field. Uh, his career A dots is also only 8.1. So Goff is not someone who's going to then be that Josh Allen and just chunk it 80 plus yards down the field, it feels like. He's going to sit there and take those shorter underneath throws. And we know a lot of the time, Back when he was with the Rams, that guy was Cooper Cup. That smaller, underneath slot receiver, Cup ran a slower time than even St. Brown does. But, again, they were both technicians. And then you tie that in with your offensive coordinator that's coming from the Chargers, who did the exact same thing, even with Josh uh, Justin Herbert and his arm, that even though they had some of the most throws – almost none of them were going deep. They were in the back half of the league every single time for under Anthony Lynn on going deep. So he's going to be a guy who attacks the shorter areas of the field, the underneath parts. And again, when he was with the Chargers, the receiver one was a slot receiver, Keenan Allen. Monroe St. Brown is not Keenan Allen, but he fills that role that Keenan Allen and Cooper Cup have. And so when you see the team has lost 200 plus targets, with Galladay's now gone, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, and all these other guys, there's an opportunity for Amon Ross St. Brown as a slot receiver to then be usable behind TJ Hawkinson and Swift as the other two main pieces. 
and like a lot of people give it flack because I don't know a lot of people give it flack because they just say like oh, well Tyrell Williams is there Rashad Perriman's there but both of those guys have injury concerns so I was kind of looking at all that and since Monroe St. Brown's only cost me on average about a 210 in rookie drafts or the 14th round as receiver 64 you look for those kind of guys that you can get out of value and I think he could be even usable as a flex for you in 2021. So. I just have one question for you, and that is, are you worried about the ascending star in Quintez Cephas in this offense? <laughs> Quintez Cephas is more of an outside receiver, so if I was Tyrell Williams, I might be concerned, but for Monra being in the slots, not too much. I think those two compare well pretty good, but Hawkinson's going to be the focus, and then you're going to see Goff, again, going toward his slot guy, his trusted underneath option. And I feel really good. That's going to say it's Mon Raw for 2021. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had, uh, you know, if you liked him for this year or more beyond this year. But it sounds like, uh, you know, more even even th- as early as this year. And, and with that offense, that makes sense. Uh, Sam and Matt, do you guys have any questions for Andrew before we move on? Okay. Um, all right, then I am going to give you all my rookie. Uh, admittedly, my guy is a little more obvious and on the radar. I know Sam and Matt kind of dug deep uh, for theirs. They're guys that they went really deep in the process with early early on. They had these names for a long time that they really liked and, and promoted them early and often, and they have since kind of risen up a little bit. And obviously, Andrew uh, Amonra St. Brown, kind of not necessarily a guy that's going to go like the – you know, top around one in your drafts. My guy's a little bit more on the radar, um, but he was my RB1 pre-draft, which was going a little bit against the grain. Even after the draft, people questioned his landing spot quite a bit. Um, and I'm not talking about Travis Etienne. I'm talking about Javante Williams. Um, I think, you know, he's still my RB1. I would take him ahead of any of the running backs in this class. Um, and I, I like you know, I like his long-term outlook with Gordon becoming a free agent after this year, but even this year, um, I think he can do some damage and be a factor early. I'll just tell you right now, I have Javante Williams as my RB 13 in dynasty, which, um, I know is pretty rich, but you know, you don't have to take him that high, obviously. And I do think a year from now, we're going to be talking about him projecting an RB one season, um, you know, in his sophomore campaign, but let's, uh, let's kind of run through some of the reasons and, and kind of what led me here to this conclusion. Uh, Javante Williams ran for 1,140 yards last year. He had 305 receiving yards, but perhaps his, uh, kind of biggest accomplishment was 22 touchdowns. Uh, 19 of them rushing touchdowns, which set an ACC record. His 22 overall touchdowns set an ACC record as well. Um, Truly, truly uh, very productive on the touches he got. Now, 305 receiving yards on 25 receptions. Nothing crazy there. Um, Only 17 receptions for 176 yards um, his sophomore year, the year before last So again, nothing crazy, but you got to remember that he did share a backfield with Michael Carter, who 
really, I mean, really excels as a pass catcher. Javante Williams is a good pass catcher. If you watch the tape, he's more than capable. He's very good at it. Michael Carter is, you know, well, well, well above average. Very, very good at it. And he shared a backfield and, you know, so it's still, you know, carve out 305 receiving yards and, and three receiving touchdowns alongside Michael Carter is, you know, pretty, a, a pretty solid, um, you know, run there for, for Williams. He rushed for a first down or a touchdown on 45.9% of his carries, which was the most in college football. Think about that. Almost half of his carries were a first down or a touchdown. Um, he tallied over 2000 yards rushing the last two years combined, despite carrying the ball only 322 times. What that means is that he was uber, uber efficient. Yes. It also means he doesn't necessarily have as much wear and tear on his tires as a lot of these rookie running backs that come into the league. He had a PFF college grade of 95.9, which was the highest rushing grade PFF has given out in the college era. Uh, let's see. He averaged 0.48 broken tackles per rushing attempt in 2020. So almost a half, uh, you know, half broken tackle per rushing attempt, which, and that's also a PFF college record. He did it while leading all backs in the percentage of runs that picked up a gain of 10 or more yards, which was 26.8%. So over a quarter of his runs went for 10 or more yards. Despite being 19th in FBS in carries, William had four more runs that included 10 or more yards after contact than anyone in the country. That was 23. So he had 23 runs that included 10 or more yards after contact. And again, 19th in FBS carries, and he still led in that category by four runs. So, you know, the college production is obviously there. He, this guy, I mean, just go back and watch the film and tell me you're not just in awe of him. I think what really stood out to me and the re one of the main reasons I had him as my RB1 going into the NFL draft was that he his pad level and contact balance I think are exceptional and better than than probably I've I've ever seen at least, you know, of late. His his contact balance is just the way he absorbs contact and keeps going is I think going to serve him very well at the next level. Um, his fit with the Broncos, you know, the, the Broncos running backs rushed 372 times last year, which was 22 above average. This is a team that has a very good defense, a defensive minded head coach. They have a lot of weapons in the passing game, but you look at them bringing in Teddy. If Teddy starts, like if Drew Locke can't, you know, kind of take the next steps and get going and they go to Teddy, Teddy's very much a game manager. And even with Drew Locke, I mean, they're going to ask him to kind of manage the game. This is going to be a team that wins with defense and running the football. So I would expect them to be running the ball a decent bit above average again this year. And you look a little deeper, Lindsay, Philip Lindsay, who's gone, was on pace for 172 carries before the injury, before his, you know, he missed some games there. And Williams, Javante Williams is quite a bit more talented than Philip Lindsay. I think we would all agree, agree on that. However, 
Williams is more like Gordon than Lindsay in that, you know, he, he, he's, he's a physical runner. He can run between the tackles. He does a lot of the little things that Lindsay didn't do, which means the game script, you know, they can interchange those guys without worrying about tipping their hand with, you know, defenses reacted to Philip Lindsay, knowing that he was not a good pass blocker, uh, not a good pass catcher, uh, nor a short yardage back. So the Broncos kind of tipped their hands when Lindy Lindsay would come into the game, which is why they didn't use him even more. So I think the fact that you can use Williams and Gordon interchangeably, you know, there's no, there's no situation where the Broncos can't and won't use Javante Williams. Uh, the Broncos, they use a lot of like pin and pull concepts. They run a lot of zone. And those are two things that North Carolina did with Javante at, at, uh, in, in college and that he excelled at. Um, he is very good at, you know, getting to the edge on those pin and pull concepts, but he's also very good at utilizing the zone and, and kind of the one foot in the ground, cut up the field and go. He's very good because he, he has that burst when he does it, but he's also, you know, he can run through guys. He can run over guys. He can run around guys mentioned the uh, you know, all the stats in terms of his, you know uh, his yardage after contact. Um, let's see, I'm not going to really get into coach speak, but Jeff Legwold, who's the ESPN reporter for the Broncos, he went on the record saying that Gordon needs a really strong camp, even to get the number of touches that he did last year. So everybody around the Broncos is starting to realize that this isn't a pick just for next year. When Gordon's contract runs out, they're going to use him right away. And Gordon is not somebody that I think the team looks that favorably upon. I mean, I think John Elway kind of went rogue in handing that money out to a running back. John Elway isn't in charge anymore. He's not the GM, but even the coaching staff last year, I mean, I never heard a lot of praise thrown Gordon's way from the coaching staff. I think, you know, he's, he's a fine running back, but this isn't, they don't love him as much as they love Williams. Remember they traded up to get Javante Williams, which is a huge indication of how much they like him. George Payton said if he was within striking distance, they were going to go up to get him. Curtis Modkins, their running back coach, said he's the best running back in the class. So obviously this, this front office and this coaching staff feels strongly about him. Um, I think, you know, I, I think he's going to approach 200 carries. I'm not saying he's going to get there, but I think, you know, 180 to 190 range is realistic. Like I said, Philip Lindsay was on pace for 172 last year, and that was in a 16-game season. Remember, this is a 17-game season. So I think he's going to get probably up over 190, close to 200. And I think, you know, the Broncos start to the schedule. They they face some tough run defenses, but uh, it softens up a bit. Let's see if I can find it here. Down the last uh, four, hang on, let's see. Coming back from their week 11 bye, they faced the Chargers and Chiefs twice and the Lions, Raiders, and Bengals once. Each of those teams finished in the bottom half of run defenses in 2020 with the Lions and Bengals being in the bottom five. So I think this is a situation where I do think Javante Williams is going to have an opportunity early. But if he, if he doesn't see an early breakout, go get him mid-season. I think when they come back from their week 11 bye, it's, it's breakout season for Javante from there on out. Any thoughts on Javante Williams' RB1? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't believe you said it, but I also like to point out you said you didn't want to get into coach speak. Um, there have been multiple people on that staff that have mentioned several times that they believe he's a three down back, like he can stay on the field all the time. So that we might be fortunate and see a situation to where we get one of the few guys that enter the 60, 65% snap share zone, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's a good point. I've seen that fly around as well. That's a good point. All right. Uh, we spent a lot of time on these rookies. Let's get into our vets. Um, I know, Sam, you're excited to talk about your guy. I know you've written about him as well. So uh, without further ado, who's your uh, veteran, my guy, Sam? All right. We're talking about Miles Sanders. Um, I, I guess I'll be honest. I'll be kind of short and sweet to the point. Um, you don't fade talent. Um, you're not worried about Keyshawn. Or, uh, sorry. That's another bum. Um, What's what, why am I drawing carry on? There you go, carry on Johnson. Yeah, you don't, he's a bust. He wasn't very good at football. You shouldn't be worried about him. He, him and Jordan Howard are fighting to make the team. And Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, one of the all the running backs in the room, the only two that are guaranteed to be on the roster week one are named Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders. There'll be a third one, but you don't know which one yet. Um, Miles Sanders is a three down back. Um, I talked about it in my article. If you read my article, you know what I'm going to say. Um, all the NFL teams are currently transitioning to more of a workhorse. Um, CMC, Chuba, Edmonds, Connor, Cook, Madison, Kamara, Murray, Jacobs, Drake, Chubb, Hunt, Swift, Williams, Akers, Henderson. We catch on theme here. Um, you've got a star back. You spell him with somebody who's good enough to play football behind him. Um, I think Kenny Gainwell is interesting in PPR leagues. Um, I think – um, Miles Sanders throughout the year will have about a 60, 65% snap share. Um, I have him for about 245 carries, which is, you know, 15 carries a week is not a workhorse role. I'm, I'm expecting him to, you know, kind of share the backfield. Uh, so I got him at 245 carries, 1,100 yards, 35 receptions. Um, and Kenneth Gainwell probably will have that much or if more. Um, 262 receiving yards and nine total touchdowns. Um, I think Miles Sanders fin finishes as a fringe RB1, maybe very, very high-end RB2. Um, last year, people are off of him because of where they drafted him, and I told them, hey, don't draft this kid in the first round. Um, now you can get him in the third and fourth. Um, similar situations going on in L.A. right now, but um, just don't fade talent on him. Um, I mean, turn on the tape. The kid can play. He's a, he's a game changer. He'll bust them. I mean, he, he busts these big runs all the time. It's great for fantasy. So um, just to be honest with you, keep it real short, keep it simple. Um, carry on Jordan Howard, Boston Scott, Corey Clement. They're not all making the team. Um, about three of those guys will be cut. They'll probably keep three to four active running backs. You know, you'll have Miles Sanders as the guy, Kenneth Gainwell as the backup, and whoever wins the battle as the backup back up um so draft miles sanders in the third fourth round whereas adp is i mean that's an auto smash um i mean that's that's incredible value um where you're getting him and you should be excited about that and i'm just gonna keep it at that yeah we've talked about miles sanders quite a bit on the show i think we all like him at least to a certain extent and uh sam stated the case for him many times just really reiterating it there do you guys have any uh Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns on Sanders before we get moving? 
Nope. Why don't we stay with the Eagles? We all know who Matt's guy is going to be, but why don't you tell us anyways, Matt? I'm not sure if I can keep it as short and sweet as Sam can because I'm so passionate about this guy. And I'm not even an Eagles fan, but it's just the way that uh, it ended up. Short. Yes, here we go. Take it, take your time, man. I'm here for the Jalen love. I'm here for it. Well, I mean, I feel like everybody's I'll heard... give somebody five bucks if they can guess who it is. Anybody, anybody who, who's who's just my guy? Anybody? 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 I feel like by now that everyone has heard just about everything there is for me to say about him. So I'm just I'm just gonna run through some of the highlights on why you should not fade him for dynasty because I have seen a lot of the hype. Everybody's everybody's kind of all in on him, at least for redraft, but there's a lot of people it's still very uneasy about the dynasty outlook of Jalen. So just some of the stuff I want to run through just real quick. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of the stuff that I have the notes on him. You know, Jalen was not asked to throw at Alabama his first two years. It wasn't the offense. You know, I discussed about that that earlier uh, with, with Nick Saban, it was defense and run the ball, you know, first read, if it's not there, Jalen, you take off. He stayed at Alabama's junior year to get better at passing instead of going out somewhere else. And then his senior year, he went to Oklahoma. He had, he was the second best uh, quarterback in the nation in an efficiency rating, had a better completion percentage that year than two of Herbert Lawrence and fields. Jalen put together one of the most historic collegiate uh, statistical seasons of all time his senior year at Oklahoma uh, you know he was then drafted to Philly a lot of people I don't I don't know where people keep saying that most teams had a fourth round grade on him I don't believe that at all um, he was drafted in the second round as we know by the Eagles um, he was kind of thrust in there at the end of last year uh, people are kind of harping on him for this 52 percent completion percentage um, but I would like to point out that according to player profiler uh, his supporting cast efficiency was minus uh, was minus 7.65, which ranked 28th out of 32 qualifying teams. Um, so he had a bottom four supporting cast. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Andrew sent me this little tidbit the other day. Uh, in his four starts, Jalen had 13 throwaways to avoid a sack. If we tack on his those 13 throwaways, and just give them simple completions, a screen, a slant, what have you. His completion percentage jumps from 52 to 60%. And I promise you, if we if he had completed those 13 passes, if they weren't throwaways and he had a 60% completion percentage, we wouldn't be talking about him as, oh, I'm not sure if he can throw the ball today. Then I had somebody uh, point this out to me. Uh, I kind of already knew this. I just didn't know the exact numbers about this, you know, Sirianni's going to come in this year and he's going to match Jalen's aggressiveness of wanting to push the ball downfield, which as we know, throwing the ball downfield, those, those passes are a lot harder to complete than they are throwing it short. Sirianni's going to come in here. He's going to implement a, a short game to go with Jalen's aggressiveness and his deep ball game. Hertz was number two last year in average intended air yards. And he was also number one in average completed air yards. Doug Peterson wanted to throw deep or run the football. There was no in-between, which is why his completion percentage was what it was. He was throwing the ball away. He was throwing it deep or he was running it. That's That, that right there is a combination of poor completion percentage. So now Sirianni is going to come in where he specializes in developing a scheme around certain players' skill sets and also uh, – 
according to, well, I should say thanks to uh, DLF, uh, Sirianni's uh, heat map of where he likes to target his wide receivers, almost 90% of his targets come under 10 yards. Uh, where he likes to get receivers. He likes to, Sirianni likes to get uh, the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, slants, screens, digs, stuff like that. You know, three-step drop back and fire. Like, don't have to think about it. Now, obviously, there will be some deep balls mixed in there because that's Jalen's uh, one of his strengths. But this completion percentage is going to jump way up. May, I, w- I would say north of 65%. Like, I don't think that that's outrageous to think, especially when you limit the, the throwaways. And then you got people saying, oh, what about the O-line? So the last four weeks of the season, if I'm not mistaken, they only had one of their intended five starters to begin the season starting, okay? So now this year, you got all five starters coming back. And three of them were all pros at one point. I don't think Brandon Brooks is an all pro anymore, but Jason Kelsey is, and I would argue that Lane Johnson probably still is. So this offensive line is going to look a lot, lot better. I don't, I honestly don't know what, what else there is to say. I mean, you're fading a guy who's uber athletic, who was given poor circumstances, you know, no off season last year, you know, Oh, everybody else didn't have it either. I'm like, yeah, but quarterback position is so much harder to, to learn and to develop, you know, Jalen has only been active in the quote unquote pass game uh, for this will be his fourth off season now as developing as a legitimate passer because he wasn't asked to do that at Alabama. And if you want to fade him, that's fine. But keep in mind that even though his completion percentage was 52% uh, other quarterbacks who had a below 55 percent completion percentage their rookie year josh allen matt stafford andrew luck josh freeman jared goff just to name a few so there are plenty notable quarterbacks out there who are now extremely successful that turned it around i mean again it's a four game sample size it's not huge so even though i'm all in and and saying yes i think he's going to be successful like i understand why there is some hesitancy but don't be hesitant they Jalen's going to ball out this year. I like actually like the Eagles to compete for a wild card spot. I don't think they'll get in, but I think they're going to be knocking on the door come the last three weeks of the season. You know, we have to some combination of somebody has to lose. We have to win, et cetera, et cetera. And then in 2022, I think it's wheels up. I think they're going to compete for the division title. I think they'll push for an uh, NFC championship. So we'll have to wait and see. So I think a lot of people are slightly concerned that the Eagles will come in and, and, you know, not be very good and then draft, you know, a QB high in the draft next year. But I guess with your scenario, that's pretty irrelevant. I mean, if Hertz keeps them kind of in contention for the playoffs, they're obviously not going to have so, an opportunity to do that. Okay. I have a question for you. Based on what you know today about next year's quarterback class, do you believe that Justin Fields would be the QB one in next year's class? Mm, I mean, he yes. Probably okay. the Eagles had an opportunity to draft yes. this year yes. and they did not, they yeah, opted to point. roll with Jalen. So the only way that I think Jalen is not the starter in 2022 is if the Eagles somehow, some way end up deciding to trade, uh, to trade for Deshaun Watson, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, but you know, you never know. And I also think one of the other things that's kind of important is Jalen hurts was not Doug Peterson's guy. He was Howie Roseman's guy. 
and Roseman is still there and Peterson is not. So I think Jalen is going to get a very fair shot at being their franchise quarterback. And this whole, you know, we're hiring a head coach to come in and, and fix Wentz. It's all bullshit. Wentz isn't even there anymore. So I think Roseman is, and, and Lori, as Lori said, we're going to build around Hertz. I think, I think they're going to give him a legitimate shot. I think he gets two years at minimum. Fair enough. I think uh, we've all asked our Hertz questions and been answered. So I um, think that states the case for Hertz. Andrew, let's, uh, let's hear it. Who's your 2021, my guy? Yeah, so when I was looking at vets, I kind of wanted to do another uh, redemption story. And, I mean, it's the same guy I've been talking about all year. It's uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for the Chiefs. And basically, it started off, I know everybody had super high expectations, thinking this is the next Christian McCaffrey coming out last year. And they kind of got burned for it. So I think now there's an opportunity with the way the market's overcorrected itself. And so I kind of think that starts with the uh, rebuilt offensive line that the Chiefs have going on. They realized Patrick Mahomes could not do it all in the Super Bowl when he was missing, I think, three of his offensive linemen and definitely both of his tackles. So they went out, they got Orlando Brown in the trade. They drafted, well, not drafted, they uh, signed Joe Thune and they ended up getting the uh, guy who opted out to go help people as a doctor last year as well. So the line is a whole lot more improved than it was last year. Um, when you look at what CEH already did as a rookie, he actually had the second best season ever for someone that's in a uh, complicated Andy Reid offense. Andy just doesn't use rookies a whole lot. The only last time we've seen someone do better than CEH was Kareem Hunt, and that's because we saw uh, Spencer Ware and so Chadrick West, or I think that's his name, get hurt right before the season started. So he got kind of got thrust into the position. And so when CEH got out there, he performed well. In 13 games, he had 181 rushes, 803 yards, four touchdowns. He saw north of 50 targets in 13 games, which is great for a running back already. Uh, 36 receptions, 297 yards, and one touchdown. So he already had almost 1,200 yards and five touchdowns as a rookie in 13 games. People are upset, though, because even though he was right there on that borderline RB13, RB12 going into the playoffs, when he got hurt in week 13 and then missed another three games, a lot of people just have that tendency to look at the end of the season year Oh, how did he finish up? Oh, man, he's RB21. He must have sucked. Like, and now people have overcorrected. And so most people have him right there at, at a high point of RB15 in the ranks, if not lower. And that's about where his ADP is as well, which I think is honestly actually his floor because Andy Reid has a good history. Uh, in his history, he has most of his RB1s getting north of 65% of the snaps. 60% of the rushing attempts, at least 13% of the targets. And if you go back and look at his history of the running backs he's got and how they finish in fantasy, a lot of the times they're right there, RB11, if not better, so an, an RB1 season. So for the price of getting a guy as an RB2 and that doesn't fumble, he literally had no fumbles last year and now has a better line to hopefully get a couple more of those touchdowns punched in. I think like CEH is someone that people need to be targeting, especially when you talk about people freaking out about Miles Sanders situation because Kenneth Gainwell and carry on Johnson, like the chiefs didn't even add those quality players. So it's literally CEH's backfield. He was a first round pick last year. Andy Reed, I trust as a coach to get it done. So for my, 
me, my guy in 2021, it's going to be Clyde Edwards Solaire to outperform everybody's expectations going into this season. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, good running back in that offense. I mean, the hype he was getting last offseason compared to where it is now, I think he's got an excellent shot at redemption. Uh, Matt, Sam, anything you guys want to add or, or add on to CEH here? No, I don't think so. I talked about him a couple of weeks or a couple months ago on the pod. I love him. I'm all about it. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the only thing I didn't even include right there was the other thing is we know the Chiefs are going to score a lot of points, which means they're probably going to be beating their opponents by a good bit. And if you're up, normally a team's trying to start running the clock down, giving your opponent less time. So that's, there's a lot of chances for some good positive game script when it comes for the running back situation. So. That's where I'm at. All right. I am going to give you a second year running back as well. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is my guy uh, for 2021. I, you know, I just have to say, guys, I, I know we're not doing like, you know, honorable mentions or anything. I wanted, I really wanted to talk about T.J. Hawkins in the day. I've uh, spewed, uh, numbers and and ideas out there for tj hawkinson all off season so i'm still gonna say it go by tj hawkinson because this time next year we'll be talking about him in that elite tier of tight ends but i really like jk dobbins this year and i think you know there's there's a number of of reasons that led to him being my guy but i think one big factor is that so many people are fading him because of his receiving work. And while that's a factor, I'm going to run through some numbers here for you. I think that's a factor, but they're so efficient running the ball and they do it so often that I think that kind of balances out the lack of receiving work. I also just want to add that JK Dobbins is actually a really good pass catcher. And so I wouldn't be surprised. Of course it would be a little bit of a change and we can't count on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, if they try to get him a little more involved in the passing game. And I'm going to give you some quotes on that in just a minute, but I think my really, my only real concern with JK Dobbins is that I think Gus Edwards is a good player and they obviously gave him an extension, but Gus Edwards isn't necessarily a huge game changer. He's like a good backup running back. JK Dobbins is a game changer. So over the last three years, so I just put out an article, a uh, shameless plug here. I put out an article on rushing QBs and their effect on their team's running back. So some of these stats here were kind of included in my article, but the last three years, the Ravens running backs have scored 14, 14, and 17 rushing touchdowns. League average in those three years is 11.39. So they're averaging like six five more than five, six more rushing touchdowns than the league average itself. Those last three years, Ravens running backs rushed for 1,659 yards, 1,954 yards, and 1,886 yards. The league average for those three years is 1,508. So they are smashing your average uh, running back production, you know, team by team. Uh, the Ravens, they were number one in team rush plays per game. That much should be obvious. 
Um, but in terms of Dobbins, he was number one in efficiency last year. So efficiency, or I'm sorry, true yards per carry, it, it, it measures the efficient carries. So it discounts all runs greater than 10 yards. So it kind of eliminates those outlier runs and just gives you a little bit better of an idea than simple yards per carry does. He averaged 5.4 true yards per carry, number one in the NFL. He was number three in yards per touch. He was number four in breakaway runs. And if you remember, he didn't even really start getting a consistent workload till later in the season. He still managed to be number one in true yards per carry, which eliminates the breakaway runs, but also was number four in breakaway runs. His breakaway run rate was 8.2%, good enough for number one in the NFL. His juke rate, number five in the NFL. His production premium, number nine in the NFL. His expected points added to his team, number four overall. Um, Yards created per touch, 2.18, good for third overall in the NFL. So, and I should add his run blocking efficiency was number five in the NFL. So he's a guy who, who really does it all, but I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing that that level of production and efficiency uh, from a rookie running back is, is really rare. Um, after only 16 carries in his first five games, Dobbins rushed for 425 yards and six touchdowns through the final five regular season games. The only running backs who recorded more rushing yards and touchdown than Dobbins over that span were Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, David Montgomery, and Nick Chubb. So he was, you know, essentially a top five running back down the stretch of the season there. Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, one of his recent quotes just the other day I saw that he said the Dobbins skill set should make him a viable weapon in the passing game now I'm not saying you know being a viable weapon is great but he was saying that J.K. Dobbins can be utilized in the passing game so I think there is a chance that they try to get him more involved Um, and really I mean looking at the Ravens last three seasons here They targeted their running back 62 times last year, 62 times in 2019, but in 2018, it was 92 times. So 30 more than they did the last two years. You know, I mean, even if they get 30 more and Dobbins. That was because Joe Flacco was the starting quarterback for most of the year. uh, Yeah, I guess he was. How late into the season did he start? That was like week 10, week 11, Lamar got kind of thrown out there, yeah. So fair enough, but um, I think, you know, the point stands that I think it's possible that they try to get him more involved in the passing game. And I read an article as well recently how he he's working on, I don't know, being a better pass catcher and wanting to get more involved um, in terms of pass catching. He said – I can catch the ball a little bit. I know I had a few mistakes last year, but this year I've been working on eliminating those mistakes, even the little mistakes. I'm perfecting my craft and making sure I'm ready at all times to catch the ball, to do all that stuff. So it'll be great this year. So he wants to be more involved in the passing game. I've had a lot of, uh, I've read a lot of good Dobbins quotes as I've been kind of following him and, and keeping a close eye on him. He also said, I think a lot of people overlook mental strength 
the NFL is a long season, especially for a rookie. It's different than college. You play a lot of games and mentally you have to be ready. You have to be on point with your mental because if you're not, then your body, none of that's going to work. I feel like I've been learning this off season to have my mental ready, body ready, all of that. I feel like I'm locked and loaded. So, you know, nothing of real substance to add there in terms of, you know, that translating to production, but I just like to hear a guy talking about, you know, how he's, he's, really focused on being ready mentally, improving his, his physical readiness as well. And kind of learning, you know, how to do all that stuff in the NFL, because it's not easy and some guys never get it. Um, And then lastly, I just wanted to point out that Dobbins, let's see how many, he had, I believe 18, 18 receptions last year. And again, that was in a part-time role. Um, I think, you know, most projections I've seen have him, north of 30 receptions, you know, maybe he gets close to 40, somewhere in there. But when I'm looking at the scoring leaders from last year, Derek Henry, RB3 with 19 receptions. Uh, Nick Chubb was an RB1 with 16 receptions. And then there's a lot of guys right around the 30s in there. I mean, Josh Jacobs, 33, Jonathan Taylor, 36. And JT, I mean, he has to deal with Naheem Hines. So I like Taylor, but my point here is that even if Dobbins is around 30, 35 receptions, which I think he will be maybe even more then he's still with that rushing efficiency from that offense and the carries that he's going to get, especially, you know, if he keeps up his efficiency, I think it's, it's very possible that he's, you know, in that RB five to 10 range at least. So um, really high on Dobbins for this season. I know, you guys are worried about the pass catching role, but because of the Ravens ability to run the ball, I think those concerns are a little bit overstated. Um, that's all I have for Dobbins. You guys want to add anything on Dobbins or the Ravens? Yeah, I actually no, think, I, he'll, I'll get, I think he'll get over 30, 35 receptions. I mean, that's, that's two a game on for 17 games. So I, I think it will be closer to four. So I, yeah, I, like, that's a, I, I like closer to 60 ish. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I kind of forgot to factor in the 17th game in that. Um, but so yeah, if so that would be four games. So I maybe even maybe somewhere between three and four. Yeah. So, so if he's around like 50, 50 to 60, I think that's that's the range. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I like I said, looking through some of these RB1s from last year, not all of them. I mean, a lot of them were right around 30 receptions. Like I said, Nick Chubb, I know he missed a portion of the season, but he was still an RB one on 16 receptions. Like, and I think Dobbins is pretty similar to Chubb and that just such an efficient runner, like just such a good runner of the ball. So I'm excited to see what Dobbins. Can do. Um, that's it for the, my guys episode though, guys, you got, you got any, any parting words, any last words for your, to get out for your, my guys. Yeah. Sam, did you just yeah, fall, don't... fall over? Yeah, what was no, that? No, I was moving my chair. No. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's gonna do it then for our my guys episode. As always, you know, hit us up on Twitter, give us some feedback, let us know what you thought of the episode, drop us a comment, give us a review, all that kind of stuff. And of course, head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Thank you guys for being here with us. We'll see you next week on the Fantasy Scouts podcast, where we bring you inside info you won't get anywhere else.